I want you to turn once again to Matthew chapter 7. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. We have come to the content of chapter 7, which to say the least is challenging. The whole Sermon on the Mount is challenging to the careful reader, to the student of the Bible, to the disciple, the learner. You really learn a lot of what the Lord wants when you carefully read this and you get a chance to examine yourself to see if you're really willing to live this way, if you're willing to make these kind of choices, if you're willing to go this far. We'll start in a minute at verse 15. But last week we were talking about the narrow way. And as I said, that's one of the most uh, difficult messages, I think, in all, in all the Scripture. Because it's an either or, it's a black or white, up or down, right or wrong, and there's no in between. You either or, or you aren't. And it's a narrow way, and, and not many will make it, only a few. The Bible says we'll find it. That's not in harmony with the message of universal Christianity today, or Christianity on the, around the country, around the world which says that daily there are millions coming in and all of that, but yet Jesus said only a few will find it. It begs the question of who's really seeking it. I think a lot of people assume they have found something because they feel something or they had an experience, and therefore they have found something. But I can tell you this from 40-plus years of walking with the Lord, there's far more to Christianity than feeling something. That the discovery of truth becomes a treasure to those who experience that. To have your eyes open to see something God's way or to see how God looks at something and allows you to see things the same way. It's like being seated in heavenly places and learning how to function from heavenly places. And it sobers you up. It makes you think a whole lot about how you're living and things that you're doing. You ask yourself the question, will I be one of those few that enter in through that narrow gate? Am I looking for the broad way? Am I complaining about how hard the word is? Do I think, as Peter wrote about, you know, those who complain about Scripture being difficult, am I one of them or am I one of those that says, just teach me thy way, O Lord? Whatever it costs, however difficult it seems to be, just let me hear it the way you expect us to hear it and give me the grace to do it. Because Christianity is on his terms. See, the, in contrast to that kind of an attitude, you have those who really don't seem to be that grateful for what salvation is. You were brought out of darkness. You were brought out of what's called the miry clay. There was no reason for God to bring you out because you didn't deserve to be brought out. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's none righteous. No, not one. Nobody has any access to God. We are at the hands of the devil and death, and he was the spirit that rules in disobedient souls like us. But God, by grace, favor, reached down, and we sang about it all the time, and he drew us up out of that miry clay. He brought us to him, opened our eyes, showed us what we had never seen before, gave us a heart to receive it, directs our steps, encourages us, makes us to understand and we found a life that we weren't even looking for. And that's grace. And God has done that to us. And the more we seek, the more we find, the more we find, the more enjoyable it, it is. And it's like Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. 
and thy words were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You know, I don't know how many Christians are like that. I don't know how many people, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know how many people have that flavor in their mouth that they really look forward to hearing the word and studying the word, talking about the word. They have this deep assurance that the word gives you, you know, this engrafted word which is able to save that becomes a grip on your life. And life has a whole new meaning. And, and you don't find a lot of people, even in the church, who really enjoy talking about Jesus, about the word of God and the treasure that it is. But Malachi said in the last days, there were those talking who were talking about the Lord, and then there were those who weren't. And so be glad if you have a heart to hear the word, and you have a heart to want to be what God wants you to be, and your life is with the Lord in the sense that you want to be controlled by his word. You want him to be Lord of your life. He's not Lord by force. He doesn't make us follow him. He's Lord by consent. We let him have control of our life. And I think the more you see where this is leading, the more you want him to lead. Now, we go from there down to the 15th verse. And this message is throughout the New Testament. It's a sober message like the last one was. We'll probably spend two weeks on this if we can get through tonight. It'll be three weeks if we don't. But that's okay because we're in in no hurry. Let's read it, verse 15 through verse 20. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So he used trees to show us what falsehood is like, false prophets. What comes out of something false is false. What comes out of something that is right is right. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Well, you will know falsehood, false ministries, and false prophets by their fruit. Because one of the words that we'll see in just a minute that goes with falsehood is perversion or corruption. That which was intended to loose a man and make a man free is altered so that it really doesn't, making you wonder why it doesn't. Because you see, anything that perverts perverts the way of God the way that God is revealing to his people, anything that perverts that leads to difficulty. And anything that perverts the right way leads to ruin and regret. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, it says this about the last days and, and falsehood. But evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, deceived and deceiving mean to go astray, which means it's the word planao, and it means to wander. So here's, the, here's what you hear. We're, we come to the Lord to, to walk the way he wants us to walk. We are trusting that what we're hearing is God-directed. 
Now, it's up to us to prove that it is, to search the Scriptures, to see if what you're hearing is right. And so the Word of God is to be clean and pure and, and without anything added to it, unadulterated. Because when you add something to it or when you take away something from it and you do take away something from it, when you change what it means, the Bible says you will be deceived. You may still like church and like a lot of things, but, but you won't see things the way God is showing you things. Somebody has changed all of that. Now, you enjoy the, the Lord. You love the Lord as people, you know, they say all of that. I don't doubt that. That's not my business. That's the Lord's. But the Bible does warn us that in the latter days, evil men and seducers, imposters, look right but, not, but aren't right. False prophets, that type of thing. They shall wax worse and worse in the sense that they will be not only deceived themselves, they'll really believe they're right, but they will also have the ability to convince those who want to be convinced that they're right. And when you are deceived, that is, you begin to wonder. You no longer hold fast to maybe anything because now you got more options than you used to have because things are not clear anymore. You begin to wonder. It's just, it's just that's what the word means. Or in Ephesians 4, it said, you know, there will come a time when there will be this thing called every wind of doctrine. Remember that? Every wind of doctrine. Wind is what blows and goes. And there will be doctrinal come-afters. They come after you this way. They come at you again. You deal with this one, or here comes another one. You deal with that one, here comes another one. And by the time you deal with that one, here comes the old one again. And doctrinal corruption is always the way that man is corrupted. But he said this comes through the slight of men, those men who are clever and tricky. The Bible says they lie in wait to deceive. You think, where do they come from? That's Ephesians 4 and verse 14. They lie in wait to deceive. Where do they come from? Now, let me tell you something about falsehood in the last days and the effect that it's going to have, and we'll talk about it all the rest of the night. There are, seems to be planted in most every religious movement, in most religious systems, it seems that there, there has been planted, there are people there who, who, when given the chance, go a different way. And they seem to do it in such a way that people follow it. I think people like change. I don't think people like to stick with orthodoxy. I think they like to add it up, spruce a little bit to it, and liven it up a little bit by doing something different or by trying something else. Let's do something else. But when the Bible speaks of every wind of doctrine coming from clever men who are lying in wait, it means they are there waiting their turn. And when they get their chance... They come out. And there's no way you can deny that because it historically has been proven over and over and over. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Because you see, the Bible tells us some shall depart in the last days. Some shall depart from the faith. Why? Now, you know this is easy. 1 Timothy 4.1. Some shall depart from the faith giving heed. Now, how? let me ask you a question. How do you know you haven't given heed? 
giving heed to seducing spirits, a spirit that misleads you, that takes advantage of you. See, the word seduce in our language has a sexual overtone to it. Somebody being seduced or seduce somebody. In the spiritual realm, God uses even the word gone a-whoring. That's also a word in that same category. And it has a picture of people who go after something other than God, and they derive pleasure from it, and it seems so good. They enjoy that they abandon God's way because they found something better. They have been seduced. They have been drawn away into another way. They become loyal to somebody else and or something else. And God wants us to know that it's so easy to do that if you're not careful, it can happen to you. You that stand, he said, take heed lest you fall. Now look at Acts 20. Look at verse 28. Paul is here speaking to the elders at Ephesus. The elders were the pastors of house churches. They had no building to meet in like we do, so they met in homes. They had house churches, and these over each church was an elder that these apostles appointed, and they were leaders or elders. They were the ones you would call, for example, if you wanted the anointing of oil for, for healing or something. Well, he brought them all together, still the whole church. He brought them all together. In verse 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed or to shepherd the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now listen to this. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, whether he's talking about from among them, or outsiders, they call them Judaizers in the Bible. They always followed Paul around to try and misrepresent him after he left to go somewhere else. They'd come in behind him, and they would say, oh, no, he's, you know, his bodily presence is weak, and, and his speech is not good, and he's, you know, you don't want to follow that. And so Paul had to put up with that for years, all the time he was ministering. And so he warns him. He said, after my departure, grievous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And so when we ask ourselves, what does he mean by these grievous wolves and of your, own, of your own selves? He said, these men will come in in verse 30 speaking perverse things. Does your Bible say that? Speaking perverse things, what for? For what purpose? All right, now, in defining a ravening wolf, this is the picture that you see. It's not actually a furry wolf, but as wolves are predators, and as they prey on the unsuspecting, because it's hard for a wolf to come after somebody who's prepared to defend themselves or fight, but when he can find somebody that's unsuspecting, really not paying attention, or just religious, then the wolf begins to zero in on that person. Because the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom... He can devour. Now, he uses people to devour just as God uses people to bring the gospel. So the devil has his crowd. And he said, these men will come along speaking perverse things. And these perverse things are these every wind of doctrine, these different views and slants, clever of speech, disarming us from being critical. 
See, if we are defining somebody and what somebody says, then we feel like we're being critical. If we say, well, I don't know about that or not, well, don't be so critical. And yet the Bible tells us that we should be careful. Because if somebody speaks one thing that's not in accordance with the uh, Bible, then you need to make a decision. I'm not going to follow that. I don't receive that. Now, that might be something you haven't seen yet, or you might not have a hold of the whole thing yet, but you got to realize there are men out there that are lying in wait to deceive. They speak perverse things. They come to take advantage of you. Wolves in sheep's clothing, we're talking about men in ministry of some sort, usually, who, who come along talking about the Lord Jesus, singing your songs, raising their hands like you would, quoting the Bible, even in the last days, working great signs and wonders, performing miracles, doing things that, oh, no, this has to be God, and yet it isn't. And it happens to unsuspecting people because some people are just not paying attention. They just don't. And these are the ones, as I said, the devil is after. These are the ones that, that he wants to deal with and seduce, mislead, cause to wonder. The most dangerous thing to the devil is a Christian who knows the word. And when that Christian who knows the word is able to release the word, that is, trust it, count on it, he becomes double dangerous to the devil. And I think the devil does everything he can to convince church folks that they don't need all of this or that's too narrow, that's too hard, and that's not, and everybody can't do this, and that's not entirely possible, and the Sermon on the Mount is just over everybody. You know, I think he does that so we will back away and say, well, then I shouldn't because I'm going to be a very unloving person if I'm a discerning person. Because if I don't get what somebody's saying and I take exception to what somebody said because I can't see that in the Bible and I've been here, then people begin to view you as either some kind of a, a narrow mind that you can look through a keyhole with both eyes open, see, you're hard to get along with and you're just too whatever. Because Christianity today, and you have to admit this, Christianity today is taken on a form of very tolerant. We're just tolerate anything and everything. We used to sing a song, we don't care what church you belong to. Today, it would be, we don't care what religion you are, whether you're Jew or Muslim or Hindu or whatever. You just, we're just here to love everybody. And you use the word love, and it's such a, an emotional word and such an all-inclusive word that surely if we love everybody, I mean, this, isn't this what God wants? I mean, just to love. So we begin to listen to people whose words begin to affect our relationship with God. We don't know that because that's what deception is. You can't see yourself being deceived because you're enjoying what you're hearing. You enjoy what you got. That's the deception. That's where a man is misled. That's why the Bible speaks in several places about they have eyes to see, but what? They can't see. They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. Oh, they see and they hear, but not in a spiritual sense. It doesn't register that this is wrong or that I'm wrong. Because trust me with this, when you have another spirit operating in your life, the spirit that came in because you accepted it and it begins to mislead you and misguides your thinking, it never tells you that you're wrong. It'll make you fight to prove that you're right and to justify yourself 
when people think you're whatever. But who are these false prophets again? They, they look good. They sound good. They're wolves, the Bible says. They're after prey. They're predatory. And they are, as one dictionary said, they are rapacious. That's a good word for your crossword puzzle. They're given to seizure. They have an appetite for greed. They want what you have. And to get it, they will represent themselves in a way that you will accept them. They will act the way you want to act. They will do the things, say the things that get your attention and get your approval. And behind, listen to me, this is a good bit of knowledge for all of us. Behind all of this falsehood, there's a spirit of witchcraft. Because behind misleading you and gathering you under my approval is control. And any time there is control of people's lives, where you're bent on telling people what to do and how to do it on your terms without them making that decision them, themselves, it becomes witchcraft. And I don't know that there's any other more prevalent spirit in the world than witchcraft. Because there are millions of people who are of a certain denomination that cannot choose or decide anything different than what the system that they're in tells them to do. They are victims of the system. The system has told them you don't have to read the Bible, and they don't. The system doesn't talk about sins that you do except whatever they feel like is a sin. They don't need anything else because they depend on the system. They don't have to read. The only praying they have to do is by rote, by a memorized little prayer or two or three, and they become victimized by a system that controls them. And the spirit behind that religious system is witchcraft. And any time a person bucks that system, that system threatens to put them out of heaven as though heaven is that church. And these people are under a bewitched, bewitching spirit. And it all, it probably came through the family tree. It just started with mom and dad, and it just, everybody accepted it. It kept on going. And it would have happened to you and me if it had not been for the grace of God at some point in our past that alerted us to the fact that there's more to what God wants than what we're doing. And the more we begin to investigate and seek after that, the more God began to open our eyes. And then it was, whoa, man, where have I been? Where have I been? Oh, Lord. Then you begin to see how great he is and how small you are. How important it is for him to increase and for you and your philosophy to decrease. How the cross is so necessary for you to die to who you think you are so that he can use you on his terms. I mean, it all clears up. For some people, those are just charismatic words, but when you begin to see what he's saying, you begin to realize what he's saying because control is what witchcraft is. Error, listen, deception. When the devil comes to mislead you and deceive you, it's because he wants to control you either through fear or through something else. Oh, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Oh, if you leave the church, you're going to hell. Oh, you know. And so people are afraid to, to disagree with the powers that be because of fear. Well, that fear is a direct result of witchcraft. 
That's why it's almost impossible for those that are steeped in denominationalism to get out of it. And there's nothing more prevalent, more obvious of what denominationalism does when you go to a Latino country and to see the power of Catholicism, which I was talking about a while ago, I guess. You see the power of Catholicism over people who, who don't have a clue what Scripture's about because the system just tells them that you do this and you're all right, you go to heaven. You could even buy forgiveness. And it's so corrupt, and yet the people like it like that, and they don't want to get out of it, and they won't get out of it. They might try to, but chances are that they won't. These systems that bring falsehood, whether they're false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, false brethren, false doctrines, a false gospel, beware of men, beware of this. The Bible, the New Testament is full of these warnings. Because you see, like when Paul, everywhere he went to labor, the people that came in behind him, read 2 Corinthians. The people that came in behind him began to put him down and bring the people back into the bondage of the law. That's why Paul said to the Galatians when he came back, he said, who's bewitched you? He said, you were doing well. You were running, the, you were running well. And now you're back into days. You're worshiping days and months and seasons. All of that had a message. It's been fulfilled. We don't do that anymore. There are no special days. There are no certain days that we, we don't have to worship God on Sunday or Tuesday. We can worship God when we come together any day of the week. We can't become so attached to a day that we have to do it on, on that day, but there must be a day, there should be a day that God's people come together to worship and counter the day unto the Lord. But boy, when people get religious, and I'm, when I talk about religion, I'm talking about a religious spirit. And when people get religious and get a religious spirit, they are filled with ideas that the system gave them they're full of this or that, and your chances of ever convincing them any other, they like what they got, they don't want to give it up, they don't want to change it. So, these false prophets, what do they do? What does a wolf do? A ravening, what is a ravening wolf? Turn to Matthew 23. Remember this chapter here where Jesus said all the woes, woe unto you, woe unto you. Well, listen, one of the things our Lord said, woe to. Verse 25, Matthew 23, 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Now, in other places in the scripture, he told his disciples to beware of these people. One time he said, beware of their teaching. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod or the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, beware. Means you better, you better be careful. You better pay attention. You better give an ear and an eye to hear what you're hearing and look at what you're hearing, and then you better examine carefully what you're hearing and seeing, whether or not it's the Word of God. I, I tell you, for 30 years, to do it here. God forbid that you would believe anything that anybody over this pulpit says at any time without you finding out for yourself if that's true. If you don't know, take a note and find out. How many of you know when you stand before God, you don't have to stand before me? Aren't you glad? But we'll all, me and you, will have to give an account. I'll have to give an account for everything that I've said. 
a greater judgment in James 3. And you'll have to give an account for everything you've heard, what you did with it. So we're both in the same boat, sort of. But anyway, Matthew 23, or 23, 25, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Extortion. Now, in Mark's account, which is the book right after this, you could just turn over there quickly, Mark 13, if you don't mind, and verse 39 talking about the same portion of Scripture here. Instead of using extortion, what is the word he uses? Ravening? The word ravening and the word extortion are the same word. Now, this Greek word is only used three times in the New Testament. The third time, you don't have to turn to it, Hebrews 10, 34, where Paul said that, you know, about him being in bonds and the people who were following the Lord were getting hammered by the authorities and their property was being seized. And Paul said, you joyfully accepted the seizure of your property. He said the spoiling of your property. So the word spoiling, extortion, and the word ravening are all the same word. They mean the same thing. And the picture that you get is that of a wolf. Somebody out there taking from you what they want you not to have. Now, in the deeper picture, here's what you get. Doesn't always mean that false prophets come to get your money or to get into your system so they can get you to give to them and feel obligated to them. I know that's very true. We know that. But in the bigger picture, the worst thing is that false teaching and this work of the devil, like a ravening wolf, takes away from you what could have been useful to you in your walk with the Lord, leaves you without something you needed, or talks you out of it altogether and you follow something that's not even in the Scripture, not even right, like that system I talked about a while ago. See, you've been robbed. Well, I never heard that. Why didn't my preacher? You've been robbed. There's a spirit, the spirit of the speaker. You're going to hear what's in me. And, and if you listen to very many of them, you'll know that, uh, that there's a different kind of spirit in some men than there are in others. Like, what's your motive? Is your motive to get or is your motive to prepare? It doesn't mean you're always right or that you know everything. God knows that. But there is, a, there is an approach to God's people who are like sheep and the goal is for these people to learn what the truth is and to partake of the truth and get themselves ready for the coming of the Lord and overcome. And then there are those who say, oh, that's not necessary. All of that stuff just makes you, you know, miserable in this life. You know, see, that's when you're getting robbed. That's when they're taking away from you something essential. You can't overcome. You don't know how to overcome. The preacher maybe was trained in his system, wherever he came from, if, if they're all the same. They're not, but he's been trained just to make everybody happy. And if you teach on the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to make people unhappy. But you, got, but you need to know what the Bible says so you can be prepared for and examine yourself as to whether you're going to be prepared. How much of this do you want? And yes, somebody comes along and says, well, I don't teach that. You know, you're going to lose your whole church. You're not going to have any, you won't, you won't get an offering. I ain't trying to get an offering. 
I have to give an account to God. I, you can keep your money. I want to go to heaven. So on the one hand, people are going to go, oh, man, he's too hard. But upon personal examination, I can see what's in here. I may not understand all that, but I certainly can because God has given to us his Holy Spirit. And we actually need not that any man teach us. We need a man to inspire us. But the teacher is the Holy Ghost. He'll make the lights come on. So we're without excuse if we don't learn. Amen? So the thing that we get robbed of is called a precious word. We're being denied that word. Jesus spoke to these Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, you not only are not entering in yourself, but you're forbidding others to enter in. How many people in churches have been told, you can't do that and stay here? I don't care what you've been filled with. If you open your mouth and you start talking in Spanish or German here or whatever gibberish that is, you're not, we're going to ask you to leave. Now, that's a false church. It is established by the false reasonings and the philosophy of men who spoil the people who follow that because they have been, had taken away from them something that God gave especially to get us to heaven, to get us through life. He shall guide you into what? You talk people out of the Holy Ghost, what do they have? You tell me. They have a gospel which becomes so many times a dead letter. And for me to stand here and say that tonight makes me sound like just a real mean man. And yet, truth be known, woe is us if we don't preach it and woe is us if we don't hear it. But people like to gravitate themselves to something that's more educated, more more eloquent, more organized, more something. And we'll get to that as we close. That's what people like more than anything else because somewhere along the line in their life, they were misled about what they need. That you don't need all of that. You don't need to do this. And so a man began to evaluate his needs and somebody said that he respects a loving preacher or a pastor, maybe a mother or father. So they begin to just, I don't guess I need that. And they get robbed. And there's a spirit behind that. There is always, without exception, without exception, there's always a spirit behind all the things that mislead you. Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2. This will probably help us understand it a little better. 2 Peter 2. Remember, Jesus is warning us about deception and falsehood. And this is what Peter, who should know something about it, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. In light of what I've just said, now listen to how Peter says it in three verses of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately or craftily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, why? I don't know. Well, I do know. And many shall follow their pernicious 
immoral, destructive ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Notice verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Damned people, can I say that? Doomed people are bringing a doomed message to people who love it. How can this be? How can this be? Let me ask you another question. How do we get so many systems of Christianity in this world? You got this one, this one, this one. How many different denominations are there? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. When it first started out, there was one way. It was the way in Jerusalem. And through the years, something has happened. Man either saw a better way than what the Lord said and began to change it a little bit. And when he did, it, in a sense, he's denying the Lord because he says, I don't want to do it that way. People don't like it that way. It seems more to the, what makes us the way we should be to do it this way. And the Bible says they're damnable heresies. When you start bringing heresy, the word heresy means a choosing. It actually means an opinion. It doesn't have to be a bad word, but it's an opinion or philosophy. A philosophy is, in, in some cases, a, a philosophical view of what a man's view of religion is. You know, this is how I see it. Well, th this is how I see it. Well, I think, you know, after... 40 years of being a Christian, I, I just don't think you have to do all that. I don't think that God holds us to this, and I don't think you have to, to be so narrow, and I think, and I think, and I think. And people get a chance to reason with the philosophies of men, and it's less demanding than the Word of God. So they begin to reorient themselves spiritually and they no longer see that they must do what God said because people are doing it this way. So they begin to walk in darkness. But it seems so much fun. There's so many people doing it. How could they ever say they're wrong? See, they don't know they're wrong. They couldn't know they're wrong. We wouldn't have known we were wrong except sometime a long time ago well, for, for me and Bonnie, we got saved. I didn't know anything different than to pick up a Bible and just read it. And I couldn't read far because there was this, what does that mean? That's followed me all my life. What does that mean? Well, how do I make application of that? How can I explain that to you? All my life, my saved life. And I, was, I could spend hours, and I did, on a verse of Scripture notebooks full of notes to try to know exactly what something means. And I'd hear people say something else. I'd say, well, I don't know about that. But boy, there's so many people following that and they, I'm not going to point my finger and say I think they're wrong, but I can't see what they're saying. So I think, you know what? With integrity of my heart, in honest anticipation of God's leading me, I'm going to stay where I am. I'm going to believe what I see in myself, what I see myself. I'm not going to switch 
colors here because of a popularity movement. And if I lose all my friends and they all forsake me, that's the price you pay for believing what you believe. Now, if you're teachable and you're wrong, you can be corrected. If you're not teachable, that spirit works in you. But when you're teachable, you overcome that old denominational spirit you went through deliverance from years ago. I did. I have no, it's never even had a good, honest attempt at luring me back in it. It seems so trivial to think that you would go back to that, and yet, how many people have we known 30 years ago that did? Tonight, they're back in that system. They've given up. It's no longer a big deal to overcome. I mean, you know, we, we did. We tried that. You know. It's just like you just, you're defeated. You've been misled. You've been deceived. You came out of a system you went through deliverance from because you saw what was behind it, and then you went right back in it. I don't get it. I do. Because people are very, very insecure, and they do. As one of my points will be in closing, they find their security in a system because they depend on the system to do everything. And the system has to be right, and if it's right, I'm, then I'm going on with it. Amen. But you notice he said there be damnable heresies. And he said in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, I turn to this concerning heresies. He said, for there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be known. So they're going to happen. There's going to be different opinions. I've been here long enough. People come up and talk to me or come in the back and talk to me and say, I don't know if I agree with what you said tonight about something. I say, let's talk about it. What did I say? And they'll say something. And sometimes it's very easy to answer. And sometimes, well, uh, keep, keep, keep studying. And I will too. We'll, it, it can't be two different ways. But there's people who have an opinion different from yours, and they go about in the church telling people why you're wrong. Now, that becomes schism. I've been there, too, with that one. Not me doing it, but I've had people try that here. Schism. Dividing the church. One of the things that God hates is sowing discord. He hates it, and they do it anyway because they cannot help but do it. There's a spirit that runs these people that they have to act like this. And when you describe their problem in the church, you know how they, you know what they say? That's just his opinion. He's just attacking me. It's just a personal attack from the pulpit tonight or today whenever you're speaking to him. But look at it again, that verse. He said they'll bring in damnable heresies and many shall follow, in verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious ways. I look up the word pernicious to get an exact reading on it, and what it comes down to, it the word means causing grave or deadly harm, spiritually speaking. Think of it. If a false gospel ministered to a false minister on the premise of misrepresenting the Lord and gaining favor and talking you out of this narrow way, it takes away from you something that God will hold you to, but he can't now because you've let go of it. You didn't hold fast to what you once heard, and those words have slipped because somebody's talked you out of it, and you can't remember it anymore. That word would have been a wonderful sword for you to use in tomorrow's battles, but you can't use that sword. You're going to be defeated. And once you get defeated, you don't turn to God. You turn to man. 
you get on prayer lists. You get people to, to stand with you and pray with you, and hardly anybody believes it'll work. They just know, well, we ought to pray. We ought to try prayer. That's not the way it works. We don't try anything. We believe. And yet when you say that, oh, you're so narrow. You, I knew you'd say something like that. You know why we're called narrow, I think? Dogmatic and legalistic, name them all. It's because we just hold ourselves to what the Word says. To what the Word says. We just can't let go of that. God forbid that we would use feigned words. Feigned means hypocritical words, words you don't mean. And yet your Bible is showing you right there tonight that this is what happened. This is the way it works. This is how it does happen. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at this one. Colossians chapter 2, lest any man would spoil us. Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil. That's take from you what was yours. Beware him lest any man take away from you through his philosophy, his opinions that he makes doctrines out of. Are you with me? Making doctrines out of opinions and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments, the elemental spirits, because there's a spirit behind it, the elemental spirits of the world and not after Christ. You know what the warning is here? Beware lest any man by his take, by his spin, by his view, by how he sees it and how with his clever words and all of his ability to, to transmit his feelings, you be careful lest anybody you think it's the real deal because of the way they're acting, lest any man spoil you through his philosophies and through his vain deceits. Vain means useless. Between his useless arguments, if they're not according to the word, they're all vain and not according to Christ. Is it true that in 2 Corinthians eleven four there are angels of light? Turn over to angels of light, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just show you how much is in the Bible about all of this and the warning, 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers. They're not even sincere in what they're saying to you. They're trying to capture your affection so they can gain your admiration and by doing that, control you and mislead you because there's a devil behind it. Let me say this. The devil is behind all deception. Are you there? If they speak not, Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this word, they're in no light, they're in darkness. Now that's a warning to us. Because there's a lot of speaking going on today. And he said in verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. God help us. God help us in the church. God help us. Because they're going to be so cleverly disguised that we can't see the wolfishness right away. 
They don't sound like a wolf. They don't look like wolves. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. They look like us. They act like us. They sound like us. They seem to know more than us. They just have such a, a wonderful and gentle way about them. And yet the Bible says on the inside they are ravening wolves. And you know what, again, you know what their goal is? I told you a while ago about the word of God and faith. Let me show you where that actually took place, Acts 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 6. These ravening wolves, we found, we, we learned about one in Acts 13. In verse 6, And when they had gone through the isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Joshua. I'd rather say Joshua than Jesus. Bar-Joshua. So, what did they say a false prophet was in this sense? What is a false prophet called in, in verse 6? A certain what? Who was also a false prophet. Would that mean then that any act of sorcery is false? Absolutely. Sorcery is a word for witchcraft. It's the, it's the design of the devil to snare and control the people. And God hates that. The Nicolaitans, I believe in... Revelation 3, I think that the reason God hated that doctrine is because it held people under their sway and they couldn't get away from it. Instead of allegiance to God or through the Lord Jesus Christ, their allegiance became to a system, a system of man. One of those man-devised systems that uses a lot of the Bible, but it omits a lot of the Bible. It's the things they omit that very often are the things that rob you the most, especially this thing about the Holy Ghost. I cannot believe that so many people will accept it. Well, I don't think you have to. I think you could if you want to, but you don't have to. Jesus said these signs shall what? What did he mean? Just like there are signs that follow false prophets, you'll know them by their fruits. There are signs that follow Christians. Well, I'm not afraid to say it. Y'all think about that. But he said there was a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, and here's what he was trying to do. Verse 8, this is what this spirit does in this age. It did it in this other age, and it'll do it as long as there's a world. False people... It says, verse 8, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from what? From the faith. Not only the faith as a way that God has given us to live, a collection of Christian doctrines to live this way, that's called the faith, but also to turn him away from trusting in the Lord, the faith, the faith of God. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it in light of that. You don't have to believe what I said. You check it out. If I'm in a church that is afraid to talk about faith for fear that somebody will try it and it doesn't work and then we get overwhelmed, and so therefore they don't talk about it but making an option, is that deceitful? Yes. It is deceitful. And it's not deceitful because I said it was. It's deceitful because you're robbing men of one of the absolutely most essential things that God gave us. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Somebody said to me a long, long time ago, said, you got a spirit of faith. And I said, I hope so. Because that's 2 Corinthians 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith. We speak what the Bible says. That's what it does. And if the devil can talk me out of agreeing with God and speaking what the Bible says and teaching you to trust in God yourself with all your heart and to lean not to your own understanding, but to take God at his word, then we've done right. There's nothing wrong with trusting God. And I can assure you that the devil will do whatever he can to talk whoever he can out of their faith. Just talk you out of it. Tell you that, well, I don't believe that's the only way. I remember telling a man one time, a man who thought he was smart. Now, if he's listening tonight, I'm talking to him. He's not. I said, you know, the most important thing in the Christian life in your walk with Jesus is faith. And he said, I can't believe you said that. There's so many things more important than that. And I said, you can't even name one. Uno. Well, I, you know, prayer. Without prayer, it's impossible to please God. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, I think you're making more out of it than you should. Point it out. I'm open. I'm not being arrogant and rude. I'm just saying you can say that all you want to and justify somehow that you're right. Show me you're right. Show me or leave me alone. And he did. But I'm just saying that, that we have to come to the place where we are willing to, what does he say in Jude? Earnestly, uh, is that still in the Bible, to earnestly contend? You guys got it to do, don't you? So do I. Earnestly contend for the faith. That very thing, the devil in Acts 13 was trying to talk Sergius Paulus, the deputy, the leader, the police, trying to talk him out of is the one thing that God holds us to. We can't please God. We can't. And yet, multitudes of people, when it comes to faith, faith is to them the system. It's the Method Baptist Presbycostal Catholic system. And the system has a way that they want to walk, and everybody seems to walk this way. Okay, we hear, okay, and this is how we do it. This is called their faith. Oh, I believe God, I have faith, because they go to church and they've been baptized. Isn't that sad? Don't you think that's sad? I do. I think in light of the trash that's coming in this world, and the hordes of demons are being loosed on society in our generation of kids with a few exceptions, and I'm talking about a few exceptions, are being brought into a time of darkness that's never been. The gates of hell are opened up to so many people, and, and they're willingly going in, and the church is doing nothing about it. And you look at the lewd behavior, you look at the wild, ignorant movies and the dumb, ignorant video games that some of your kids play, shame on you. This unreal world out there, this fascination, which is a demonic thing, this fascination goes like with the witch, a playing like you're somebody you're not. And it's all wrong. 
It's all right. And yet people do that, youngsters do that, and are bored to tears to sit and hear the word of God because of a spirit. It's another spirit. Can a Christian get another spirit? Doesn't it say that in the Bible? If you receive a different spirit in 2 Corinthians 11, if you receive a different spirit, you can receive a different spirit. Somebody comes and teaches it. That's what these false apostles Paul were warning them about. They come along and they mislead the people and they receive that spirit. And they begin to walk in wonder and they begin to walk in darkness while the devil is saying, good, that's what I want them to do. I don't want any of them to believe what the Bible said because then they're a threat to me. There's only a few people in the world, as 2 Thessalonians talks about the end, only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The word he, the masculine gender, is that way for a reason. Let means prevents. The only people that I can think of who prevent the devil from just taking over the world are overcomers. They know the truth. They apply the truth. They stand the truth. They're a minority. They're looked down upon. They're viewed with contempt. They will be more and more because they're, they're going through that narrow gate, and everybody, the devil wants to keep them out by attacking them that way with their, you're crazy, you're ignorant, you're dumb, you're, you're just awful people. And yet when the devil comes around, they stick that finger in his face, and he has to obey them because they know what they believe. Now, you take that group out of the world. Let's say that's the group that Jesus is coming back for. Let's say Jesus comes back and gathers these overcomers up who endure much hostility, and he grabs them and takes them up to heaven and takes them off of this earth. Now what happens on this earth when nobody can stop the devil? It becomes the last days when this unleashed the fury of the devil like has never been seen. And the times of the judgments and the the vile judgments and all these, the trumpet, and all of these terrible t things come on the earth, and the earth begins to reel to and fro. And mankind is undergoing, can't even die. Rocks fall on us, and they can't. It's the time of Jacob's trouble coming on this earth. You know why we're not here? Because we were caught up to meet him in the air. And where he is, there we shall be forever. And when he comes back, we come back too. It's in there. When he returns, we return. When he comes back, we go up. When he comes back, we come back. Then he'll subdue all kingdoms and he'll put down all rule and authority and then he establishes his kingdom and we shall reign and rule with him. Now that was free. That was all free. But in the meantime, coming up to that time, this approach to the end in which narrow gets narrow and wide gets wide. And those that are going to go in are getting ready to go in and those that are not paying attention are not watching and not praying. Remember, Jesus will appear unto those who look for him. And when he appears, they shall see him. And they shall be with him. Everybody else, I don't know, I think of Noah's Ark because it was in the days of Noah, it'll be in the end. When everybody then knew that they were, you know, they're going to bow that knee or something. I mean, it's going to be a time of, oh God, we missed it. 
Lord, open to us. But, Lord, we preached in your streets. We worked miracles. You know what he said to him in this same book right here, chapter 7? I never knew you. And they lived in the time we're living right now. In the end, before the Lord comes, all the opportunities that God has given us right now to make some real right now decisions about how we're going to live, and they made the wrong ones. Eh, they took a chance. Eh, you know, they keep talking about the Lord coming back. He hadn't come back yet. And all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, he's here and he's gone. And you can't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't do that. He just comes. You'll hear a trumpet. Somebody will. There'll be a shout. There'll be a voice. And those whose names are called will be caught up to meet him in the air. Graves will open. The righteous will rise to meet the Lord in the air. It'll be good. But you'll know what the rest of the world want. I don't think they'll go by the grave sites, graveyards, and see, who desecrated this grave? Some of them are already gone back to the dust of the earth. Some of those bodies of 300 years ago are just nothing but old bones with bugs in them. But in Psalm 39, God knows your frame. He knows all your workings. And he can command as he made a world. He commands your body parts, whether you were blown up, burned up, or thrown into the sea, and the fish ate you. If you were one of the righteous few, God calls your name, and all of the power that he has puts back everything back together, and you're raised up. How many of you know that God knows where every part of everybody that's ever died is? He knows where all the molecules are, the atoms, the protons, and the neutrons, and any other trons. He knows where everything is. And the Almighty says, so-and-so, and and pop, and there they go. Sound foolish to you? God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound this world's wisdom. But he chose us to be fools for Christ. If he said it, it shall be. I'm preaching myself so happy. I can't imagine any other life. I'm going to begin next week right here and tell you why people are so easily deceived, and then we'll look into false prophets as to how we can know who they are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word and its richness to our hearts. Make us to desire the flavor of this word to be in our hearts, that we taste it and want more of it. Open our eyes to see what you're saying. Open our ears to hearken to what you're saying. And I pray, Lord, for this church, this assembly, those that are here, those who want to listen and watch. God, may your grace ever surround us and lead us in the way everlasting. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?